cyber attacks on companies are increasing exponentially and they're targeting your most precious assets. What can you do to be ready when your organization gets attacked? That's what we're talking about in today's podcast. Welcome, I'm Kelly McCauley, host of The Director's Cut, the official podcast of the Corporate Directors Forum and president of McCauley & Company, where we help good leaders become great through high-impact, results-driven leadership programs and executive coaching. Today, our esteemed guest is David Finn, Chief Operating Officer of AppEsteem and former Executive Director of Microsoft Cybercrime Center. David, welcome. Thank you very much, Kelly. It's great to be with you. We are so happy to have you join us to share your wisdom and expertise. Few matters engender a greater sense of high-stakes risk and uncertainty to businesses than the dramatically escalating threat of cyber attacks. Some are embarrassing, like the recent DNC and Sony hack, while others can cripple organizations with critical infrastructure damage, intellectual property theft, stolen customer data, and reputational damage. Cybersecurity is not the kind of problem that ever gets solved and shelved. It is a continually evolving threat that David is going to give us insider information on regarding how to be as prepared as possible for when your company gets breached. Before we get started, let me give you a bit of background on David. As I mentioned, David Finn is the Chief Operating Officer of AppEsteem, a cybersecurity company started with a number of his former cybercrime fighting colleagues at Microsoft. AppEsteem provides a variety of novel solutions to combat fraud, deception, and malware in the software downloading industry and create a world where consumers have nothing to fear when they install and use software applications. And now is where you learn how he's the James Bond of cybersecurity. Prior to joining AppEsteem, David spent 16 years at Microsoft leading a variety of regional and global teams fighting piracy, counterfeiting, fraud, and cybercrime. His most recent position was Executive Director and Associate General Counsel of the Digital Crimes Unit. He led a team of approximately 100 people composed of former prosecutors, law enforcement officials, investigators, intelligence analysts, big data specialists, paralegals, business professionals, security analysts, attorneys, and sales and marketing personnel who were located in more than 30 countries around the world. Plus, he oversaw the company's global enforcement and intelligent efforts against organized criminals and other illicit organizations engaged in all forms of cybercrime. Yikes. A former federal prosecutor and an honors graduate of Harvard College and Harvard Law School, David lives with his wife and two children in Seattle. Really, you want to tell people where you live, David? Seriously? (laughs) (laughs) So, David, this podcast is a follow-up to the panel you moderated at the Corporate Directors Forum Forum event titled Cyber War. Is your board battle ready? You were joined by, and correct me on his last name, Norm Feldhem. Chief Information Officer of Illumina, former Chief Information Officer of Qualcomm, and he was there for quite a long time as well. And Philip Celestini was also there. He's the Cyber Division Section Chief of the FBI out of Washington, D.C. So, David, cybersecurity wasn't really front-page news nor top of mind for many leaders or board members until Target got hacked in 2013. 
what's behind the exponential growth of this threat, and what are the common assets that hackers are trying to steal? Well, I, I think you're right, Kelly, that in, in many ways it, it, the, the target breach was a kind of watershed. There had been breaches of organizations, some public, not so public, prior to the target breach. But there's no question that that really woke people up. It was a highly publicized incident where you saw the stock price of the company plummet and, and senior executives lose their, their jobs. And, and, you know, I think what you've seen since then with more and more organizations, um, but, you know, publicity about other hacks, you mentioned the Democratic National Committee and the, the Sony hacks. There's been LinkedIn, Ashley Madison, eBay, Anthem, Primera, Staples, Home Depot. I mean, these are just an Office of Personnel Management at, at the, the federal government. Those are just ones that, that I can just think of off the top of my head. I think there are a couple things going on which explain the the rising number of of these incidents. I think the first is that organizations over time have put more and more of their important assets they they're they're digitalized um and organizations in this in the twenty first century it is an an i t economy and organizations in order to be efficient and serve their customers, serve their employees, serve their shareholders, serve their citizens, just need to use software and the, and, and, and the Internet to do that. Um, so as more and more of their assets have become digitalized, that means the digital reach uh, of, of the criminals is such that that's attempting, it creates tempting targets. So I think that's the first thing, just the phenomenon of, of increased digitalization of, of an organization's assets. I think the second thing, which just goes hand in hand with that, which is, is that first of all, that that's going to only increase over time with the Internet of Things. Um, as organizations recognize that everything from a, the refrigerator to a light bulb to an automobile, having these devices have sensors that connect um, to other uh, in infrastructure in an organization means that it's only going to increase the connected nature of, of, of an organization's assets, which means the, the surface area for attacks has already increased, but it's only likely to increase even further in, in the coming years. So I think the, that first point for why there have been these more attacks is that the surface area has increased, and I'm really saying beware, it's only going to increase further. I think that the other factor is the, the criminals involved. I mean, criminals go where the money is, and they have discovered that there is money to be made by hacking into organizations. They can steal a company's most precious assets, its intellectual property, um, trade secrets, states, nations are recognizing that they can do a great deal of damage. You've seen that um, in, from the, the, the Sony hacks that, that have been attributed to North Korea. We see that with the recent press about what Russia um, has done when it came to the Democratic National Committee and recent um, press about, you know, just from the last couple of weeks, about the hacks uh, into um, at Olympic athletes' medical records that are often seems to be done to embarrass people. But, you know, one of the things that's happened is as criminals and governments recognize the capability and what's in play, if the hackers can get access to assets, then they have gone into this business. So I think those are the two critical factors, increased digitalization of assets and increased maturity and recognition by the criminals, by governments, that there's a lot of harm that can be done 
but it can actually pay off in many ways. And, and I would say, of course, there still are kind of hackers, groups like Anonymous called hacktivists that are basically activists who are engaged in hacking that aren't doing it for money or doing it for other purposes, for ego purposes, to be vandals. And you know, But the old days where there was sort of a kid in the basement, they called them script kiddies. If you think about the movie War Games where you know young people are just sort of up to doing this in order to, to have bragging rights or to, to just basically serve their ego. I think we've come a long way since then. Um, hacking is big business, a lot to be gained by the criminals, and that's one of the cr- key reasons you're seeing more uh, examples of, of these uh, huge hacking incidents. Well, and just to illustrate this, uh, you know, between you, Norm, and Philip, there were so many statistics flying out of your mouths, and it was go- the, the meeting went so quickly. But one of the things I wrote down is that, in terms of this as an accelerating trend, I think this came from Phil from the FBI. In the entire year of 2015, there was a $25 million loss because of ransom attacks. That's where they say, give me you know, money and I will open up your data back up to you that they've locked down. So in 2015, for the entire year, I believe it was a $25 million loss. In the first six months of 2016, the first six months, $229 million has been lost because of ransom attacks. So I just wanted to point out how, you know, talk about escalation. Uh, you know, about twenty, yeah, about twenty x increase. If you, you extrapolate, if you if you assume it will be at the same rate the, the next six months, although it might increase again, I do think that really drives home that point, Kelly. You're right that the criminals just there's so much money to be made. So ransomware is now the kind of uh, hacking tool of choice at the moment, which is a straightforward situation where I, a criminal locks up an individual or organization's uh, um, digital assets and says they're they're locked. Um, the only way you're going to get them is if you pay me a ransom. And, you know, we've seen many organizations have paid, including police departments in the United States. Oh, um, and, and where organizations don't have a backup, where they don't have data held elsewhere, their quick cost-benefit analysis leads them to the conclusion that they've simply got to pay because they can't afford to lose all of the information that they, they would lose if they don't pay it. Another stunning statistic that I heard you cite was that 96% of breaches happen because someone in the company clicks on a phishing link. Can you explain what a phishing link is for those who might not be familiar and what precautions need to be put in to make sure that doesn't happen? So for sure, Kelly, first, uh, a phishing link is uh, phishing, P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. It really is the kind of you know, um, hacker language for to imagine fishing in, a, in an ocean, but you're fishing to get an individual to click on a link, and and you're de- and it's a deceptive uh, uh, fish. What the what the hackers are doing is they send emails, often with a link that is uh, the email is designed to um, deceive the user into trusting the email and and trust the link. And, and so once an individual clicks on that link, instead of getting the link that, or getting the attachment that the individual thought he or she was getting, it in fact opens the, the organization or the individual up and basically exposes, um, and essentially allows the hacker in. 
Um, and I, I think the, as to why this has, why the numbers are as high and why, you know, whether it's 96% or something in that neighborhood of, of, of hacks that are linked to phishing, um, I think the reason for that is simply the fact that it just is that, that individuals, if, if uh, all it takes for a hacker is to get one person to fall for that phishing uh, uh, email to get access to an organization in many situations. So imagine a company that has hundreds, thousands of employees. To get into that organization really requires only one person to, to make a mistake and click on the link. And, you know, not surprisingly, I mean, people use the Internet where we, we, we trust it. We trust our colleagues. We trust our family. So when someone sends an email that looks like it comes from a trusted source, um, we're, we're sort of trained at this point. Many, of, many people who use the Internet were still habituated to just clicking on things. And the criminals are smart enough and, and, and shrewd enough and cunning enough to write emails that, have, that are really designed to, in, to continue that trust and prey on the recipient's trust. And so, you know, I think one of the best ways to think about it is imagine just in the physical world, an organization has thousands of employees. It only takes one person to kind of open the door. Someone's, you're, you're trying to get into your office, you open the door and someone says, oh, thank, can I just walk through too? Um, and instead of saying, nope, you've you got to show your badge, I mean, often what happens is intruders simply follow quickly behind another person physically into a building. And, and that's really in some ways what's going on with phishing. Um, and so it, it's, an, it's an enormous problem, um, and, and if an organization has thousands of people, even if 90% of those people are doing a great job, all it takes is one uh, potentially, and, and the hack can be successful. Now, I will say there are things an organization can do to insulate the organization to the damage that can be done by one person getting in. Um, but I will say, and that's, you know, restricting the kinds of access that individuals have, um, employees in the organization. But the basic point is one compromise, one individual who, who falls for it really does, can expose the organization in a serious way. It's pretty crazy. So what I did for this podcast in preparation for these questions is I started pulling out the most dramatic statistics. And here's another one, uh, learning that the average amount of time between when your company gets hacked before anyone realizes they've been hacked is 270 days. I'm just going to say that again, that the average amount of time between when a company has been hacked before anyone realizes that they've been breached is 270 days. So what advice do you have for boards on how to make sure the board and the leadership team are doing everything possible to protect the company treasures and discover breaches sooner? Well, let me just say first, I think the good news is that I think the 270 days is coming down a bit. I think I saw just recently it may be a number that you know, subsequent to what you saw, Kelly, that it's down to 200 days. But still, <laughs> but, you know, it's good a long news time. Is, yeah, everything is relative, whether it's nine months or six months, it's still a long, long time. Um, well, I, I, I think there's a lot of things an organization really needs to do to to really address the cybersecurity issue and and to reduce the risks it faces. Um, you know, first is an organization needs to recognize that cybersecurity is an enterprise risk management issue. 
um, and that they cannot see it as, hey, it's an issue just for the server room. It's an issue for the boardroom. It may have been that in years past, this was pushed down to the IT people, but that, that just those days are gone as you know, the start of the podcast, as you pointed out with the, 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 the breach with, in, with Target and then some of the following ones that I mentioned. An organization just can't be responsible to its shareholders and, and, and still regard cybersecurity as something for the IT folks. It is a, a, a board uh, room issue. But when it comes to what the, some of the specific things the board can do, well, there's been a lot of guidance that's now been um, circulated to organizations. I think maybe the, one, of the, one of the most you know, prominent was the, the NIST framework. So the National Institute of Standards and Technology in, in 2014 issued a framework um, that was really designed to help organizations uh, manage um, and, and deal with cybersecurity risk and, and really help identify and prioritize actions for boards and organizations. I think, you know, among the sort of the key things that it talked about, it really broke it down into identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. You know, identify is really about, you know, developing a strategy and doing a, an assessment of the cybersecurity risk um, sort of status of an organization. Protect is what it sounds like, you know, figure out, what are the key um, vulnerable areas and, and what the organization is going to do to protect it. Detect has to do with monitoring. So the very issue you just raised, Kelly, the, the number of days that pass before an organization knows it's been breached, well, just having a, a strong monitoring capability will reduce the number of the, the days. Respond is how is an organization set up to respond to, a, to an attack, to a breach? And then recover is what is an organization doing, what actions does it have in place to get itself back and running after it's been compromised. But, you know, the NIST framework is one example. The SEC has come out with guidelines. And there's a lot of information out there now, the guidance to help organizations address the cybersecurity issue. But I, I would just, you know, the one other thing I would mention is I think organizations have simply got to uh, make sure that they recognize that you, know, you can't speak geek on this issue. This yeah. is a multidisciplinary issue. You've got to demand that your IT people speak in basic, simple language. And the IT people, um, the, the top uh, chief information security officers, need to, you know, they, they should be expecting board attention in this area. And so they've got to get better at telling stories and preparing the board, but the board has to really take this front and center. And, and if they do, then organizations will reduce the risk. They won't eliminate it, but they should be able to significantly reduce the risk and, and help better protect employees and shareholders. And where it's a government, uh, the, the citizens and the employees of, of the government. Yeah, and you know, the biggest takeaway that I walked away with was it's not if, it's a matter of when. And so I'm just going to repeat, National Institute of Standards, Standards in Technology, if you Google that, it takes you right to this framework that David is talking about. And there's several other articles and, and resources in there. And so given we know it's a when versus an if, what are the most important steps to take as a leader within an organization once you realize you've been breached? Well, I think once you've been breached, I think this goes back to the whole um, um, plan, you know, uh, that, that you, you, you should have a crisis management plan that you have rehearsed, a playbook. So every 
senior, you know, the CEO, the top leadership team of an organization should have a crisis plan for what they're going to do when they've get, gotten breached. They should just, when the breach happens, if they get that terrible call, that the bad news call that hack has happened, they should pull down that notebook and hopefully it will be in physical form given the, the fact that some of the, uh, the, the, the software inside the organization may have been compromised um, that sort of lays out the plan. It's a multidisciplinary one. You know, gone are the days when a senior leader would just say, okay, hey, just get those computers up and running to the IT folks. I mean, this is an issue that involves HR. It involves the press. It certainly involves lawyers and, and, and counsel because there may be regulatory and disclosure obligations. You may need to bring in law enforcement to help address the issues. You're going to need to think about um, a logs of the, the data you have to help understand what happened. I mean, there's a lot of different components here, um, but I think at, at its base, an organization needs to be ready. They need to have developed a crisis plan around uh, a hacking incident so that if when, as you say, Kelly, um, the organization is hacked, the leadership team has already been through a drill, already has practiced the plan, uh, the implementation of that plan, so it has reduced um, the, the degree of surprise, even though, of course, it'll be a surprise that they've been hacked, but it, they'll be much better prepared for a major hacking incident. And then they're also, you know, that recover piece. I mean, they've got to deal with the breach, but then they also need to run their business or run their organization. Um, and that's all part of, you know, there's communications to employees um, as well as communications to the press potentially um, and external actors, as I mentioned, the government and regulators. Well, just a whole lot to know about, learn, and do. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and expertise about cyber warfare and how to keep ahead of the bad guys. In the meantime, could you share, us, share with us a little bit about your team and what you are doing at Apisteam? Oh, sure. Well, thanks for asking, Kelly. Uh, you know, what we do, I, I'm working with a number of my former colleagues at, at Microsoft, as you mentioned, who fought cybercrime there. We have formed a company that is really focused on a particular problem of fraud and deception, which is in the free software space, so where individual consumers may uh, install, download some free software. Unfortunately, they are often victimized because they wanted one piece of software, but they find out that they have unwittingly installed two or three or four other kinds of software, or they have a toolbar they didn't bargain for. And so what's going on is, unfortunately, this is an industry that has become somewhat rife with fraud and deceit, where consumers are victimized. And what happened is, you know, we saw this during our time at Microsoft and saw that it was a problem that really still hadn't been solved, and we feel that we have an opportunity through you know, working closely with different members of the industry, whether they're the anti-malware organizations and the major software companies or the organizations who develop and install this software, there's an opportunity to create clarity about what the standards are, and then there's an opportunity to monitor um, compliance with those standards, and then at the end of the day, really help clean up this industry, allow innovation still to flourish and, and protect consumers at the same time. So the kinds of solutions we're talking about, Kelly, is you know, we're going to provide a seal that uh, anyone who develops an app can get um, if that application complies with this clear set of standards. We're going to have monitoring capabilities so we can ensure that 
applications are fit within those standards and, and don't stray outside the standards. And we're also going to have an enforcement capacity to, to ensure that um, the, the standards are met. So, you know, we think it's a, an opportunity to clean something up and, and help consumers at the same time. And, and uh, so we're kind of excited about another chance to address cybercrime. Um, and um, so it, I think, draws on the experience we had at Microsoft, but a chance to really help consumers. Sure. You know, when I first was learning about it from you, I thought, amen. I'm so happy. This is a very valuable and necessary service. So to learn more about important board member ideas, issues, and challenges like this one, go to directorsforum.com, and you can find out about past meetings, different panels, and I typically do a podcast after each one of the panels is you know, presented. Our upcoming meeting is featuring Andrew Fastow, the former CFO of Enron, and he's going to present out Lessons Learned. So go to the website and check that out. The Corporate Directors Forum mission is to help create better directors who make better boards, which make better companies. You just heard this in action from David Finn during today's episode. To listen to more podcasts like this, please visit macaulayandco.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, we wish you the best on positively impacting the organizations you lead.